The greatest trial in history was brewing. The most majestic being that God had ever created was filing suit against his creator God. Lucifer, son of the morning, was becoming filled with pride because of the beauty, the intelligence, and the power that he had been given by the creator. Lucifer, remember, was the five-star general of the heavenly universe. This morning, we're going to let inspiration pull back the curtains for just a few moments as to events that happened long before we came on the scene, even before this earth was created. We're going to start with early writings, page 145. When God said to his son, let us make man in our image, Satan was jealous of Christ. He wished to be consulted regarding the formation of man, and because he was not, he was filled with envy, jealousy, and hatred. Do you know that you and I are the cause of the whole problem? God decided to create, create us in his own image, apparently a special, unique race. We don't know. And Satan said, I want to be in on the planning session. I deserve to be in that council of three. And so the whole thing began. This statement is from Review and Herald, September 7, 1897. He complained of the supposed defects in the management of heavenly things and sought to fill the minds of the angels with his disaffection. Thus, the seeds of alienation were planted, afterward to be drawn out and presented before the heavenly courts as originating not with Satan, but with the angels. Notice what happened here. He began to sow a little seed. Just a question. Why did God do it this way? Couldn't have God have done it better that way? The options are better on this side. And then he came back and said, well, I'm just saying what the angels are saying. Very carefully done. In secret, he whispered his disaffection to the angels. A word here and a word there opened the way for a long list of suppositions. Sometimes today we have many questions, don't we, about the way this universe is run, how God is handling things, what will happen at the end of time, and all the, things, the mysteries. We have long lists too. There were long lists up there. Be patient with your questions. They will get answered. Don't get too eager. God will take care of the questions. The angels weren't patient, some of them. In his artful way, he drew expressions of doubt from them. Then, when he was interviewed, he accused those whom he had educated. He laid all the disaffection on the ones he had led. Well, they're the ones that are doubting. Look, look at this angel over here and that one over there and that one. They're the ones that have questions. It's not me. The Lord saw the use Satan was making of his powers, and he set before him truth in contrast with falsehood. Time and time again during the controversy, Satan was ready to be convinced, ready to admit that he was wrong. Catch that very carefully. Almost Time after time, Satan was ready to say, yes, I made a mistake. I can reevaluate. Remembering at this point, it is not rebellion yet. It is question. And God honors questions if they're honest questions. 
It is not rebellion to ask a question that you don't have a good answer for. And God was willing to let Satan say, I misjudged. I'll rethink my position. Time and time again, Satan was ready to say, I made a mistake. But those who he had deceived were also ready to accuse him of leaving them. You brought us all this way and now you'll walk away and leave us hanging. What should he do? Submit to God or continue in a course of deception? Satan, Lucifer then, had a major problem on his hands. He had sowed the seeds of doubt. He had gotten the angels to question. Now a substantial number of them were depending on him. And he was ready to say, hey, I made a mistake. Maybe I can go back. And all of a sudden, the ones that were he was leading were saying, but you got us this far. Now what? He had a dilemma on his hands. One other thing. This shows that this whole thing took a fair amount of time. We have no idea how long. This was not done quickly. You know, from the Bible record, very brief. It seems like it all just happened like that. But this was a fair amount of time to go through all of this process of evaluation and answering questions. God does not do things hastily, either then or now. Well, to curb this brewing palace coup, the father called an assembly of all the heavenly hosts. And he explained that the son had from all eternity been one with him, omniscient, omnipresent and omnipotent. Even that was a question with the angels. And the father had to settle that question. At this great assembly again, Lucifer was almost convinced and almost surrendered to Christ. How close it could have been for no earth like this to have existed, like you and I know. A earth of sin controlled by plague and, 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 and anger and murder and war. How close it came that this earth never would have come to this if he would have just got on his knees at that time. But his pride prevented him. And so then... He assembled his own meeting after the father's meeting. He assembled his own meeting and he described how unjust it was for God to bar him from this special council of three that he wanted to be part of. And now we're looking at story of redemption. Page 14 as one aggrieved, he related the preference God had given Jesus to the neglect of himself. Jesus gets to sit in the council and he does the same work I do and they exclude me from their council. Lucifer declared that he would take the throne of God by force. Now that's where the rebellion began at that point. And with this threatening news, the angels rushed to the father to tell him of what was happening as if the father, of course, didn't know. But the angels were helping out here. Story of Redemption, page 17. They found the father in conference with his beloved son to determine the means by which for the best good of the loyal angels, the assumed authority of Satan could be forever put down. The great God could at once have hurled the arch deceiver from heaven, but this was not his purpose. He would give the rebellious an equal chance to measure strength and might with his own son and his loyal angels. In this battle, every angel would choose his own side and be manifest to all. All the heavenly host 
were summoned to appear before the father to have each case determined. Each angel would have to make a decision one by one, not by general vote, but one by one. Satan unblushingly made known his dissatisfaction that Christ should be preferred before him. He stood up proudly and urged that he should be equal with God and should be taken into conference with the Father and understand his purposes. Then Satan exultingly pointed to his sympathizers, comprising nearly one half of all the angels, and exclaimed, These are with me. Will you expel these also and make such a void in heaven? He then declared that he was prepared to resist the authority of Christ and to defend his place in heaven by force of might. And again, notice, if it was almost a half and a third were cast out, some angels changed their minds. And God allows that with information. He allows us to rethink. And it is not sin to rethink based on lack of information when new information comes to us. So now we come to the very first text in the Bible. There is nothing about this in the Bible. So here we come to Isaiah chapter 14, where it begins to introduce this picture to us from Scripture. And you know this little phrase well. Chapter 14 of Isaiah, verse 13. For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most high. Ah, that word I. Every phrase is I. And that is what sin is all about. That one little word. I will do what I want to do, no matter what it costs. And then we come to the next little vignette in the Bible in Revelation chapter 12 of the next act in this drama. The most tragic three verses I have ever read in Scripture. Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 9. Unbelievable words. And there was war in heaven. I can't fathom that. I don't even know what kind of a war it was. I have no idea what that means. War in heaven. I know what war on earth is like. It wasn't like that. I've got a question right there to ask as soon as I see my guardian angel. What is war in heaven all about? Tragic words in heaven where God dwells. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels, and prevailed not. Neither was their place found any more in heaven. And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world. He was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. Now, what happened right after that is very significant, since it reveals the character of Lucifer and the character of Christ. Here we are going to go back again to... Um, early writings, 146. After Satan and those who fell with him were shut out of heaven, and he realized that he had forever lost all its purity and glory, he repented and wished 
to be reinstated in heaven. He was willing to take his proper place or any position that might be assigned him. Any position. But no, heaven must not be placed in jeopardy. All heaven might be marred should he be taken back for sin originated with him and the seeds of rebellion were within him. Both he and his followers wept and implored to be taken back into the favor of God. Look at that. We've got repentance here. We have got weeping. We have got imploring. We have Lucifer saying, I'll take any position. I blew it. I'm sorry. Please take me back. Story of redemption, 25 to 27, a little more. Satan trembled as he viewed his work. Where is he? Is it not all a horrible dream? Is he shut out of heaven? The loss he had sustained of all the privileges of heaven seemed too much to be borne. He wished to regain these. His mighty frame shook as with a tempest. An angel from heaven was passing. He called him and entreated an interview with Christ. This was granted him. He then related to the Son of God that he repented of his rebellion and wished again the favor of God. He was willing to take the place God had previously assigned him and be under his wise command. Christ wept at Satan's woe, but told him that the seeds of rebellion were still within him. You see, that's where no angel could see what was inside. That's where we can't see what's inside. That's where only one who is omniscient can see inside the mind to know if there is genuine repentance or still rebellion inside. And here is where the angels, the ones who stayed, had to trust God's knowledge of what he saw. And even then, they didn't see it clearly till the cross. Remember? Even then, when Satan became fully convinced that there was no possibility of his being reinstated in the favor of God, he manifested his malice with increased hatred and fiery vehemence. Ah, do you catch the picture now? My friends, there is a huge difference between outward repentance, even with weeping, and genuine surrender to God. Lucifer and the angels wept. They pleaded. But did you notice what Lucifer wanted? He wanted the privileges of heaven. He wanted the privileges. The privileges of heaven now he saw were so much beyond anything he would ever have for the rest of his life that all of a sudden it just melted his confidence. And he said, I've got to get it back. I was the leader of the angelic host. And now look at me. The privileges of heaven without the character of heaven. It just doesn't work. Lucifer was sorry, yes, because he lost his future. Lucifer was sorry because he lost his power. Lucifer was sorry because now he was doomed to a very difficult existence. But he wasn't truly repentant. Or else he would have clearly showed that he was willing to surrender everything in his heart to Jesus Christ. And then, 
Why did Lucifer next focus on you and me? Well, not you and me, but our parents. Why did he focus on Adam and Eve? Story of Redemption 27. See, Lucifer knew something about God. God is merciful. God cares. If God would make some provision whereby they, Adam and Eve, might be pardoned, he knew God would do something like that. Then himself and all the fallen angels would be in a fair way to share with them of God's mercy. If God is going to come up with a plan to help them get out of sin, then he's going to have to take us back too. So if I can get them to sin, I've got a chance to go back on their terms. Key point right here. Everything about the great controversy and Satan is about his wanting to get back into his place of authority in heaven, even today. Don't kid yourself. Satan is not planning to go to hell. Satan is planning to go back to heaven even today, even after the cross, believe it or not. He is still planning to reinstate himself in his position, even above the position of God. And that is a key to understanding everything that happens during the 6,000 years of this earth's history. Satan's desire to get back to his position. And so with malice, he anticipates the creation of Adam and Eve and their deception and their seduction into sin. Jan Paulson said something very uh, appropriate here, our general conference president. He said, in God's final and ultimate answer to the sin problem, there are issues to be taken into account that are wider and larger than my personal salvation. For the larger picture, namely for the eternal security of all creation, God will also have provided a far-reaching answer that deals with the roots as well as the consequences of rebellion. Believe it or not, it's not about you and me. Even the, the death of Christ on the cross is not primarily about you and me. It is about whether this universe will exist, whether God will be able to take care of the creation that he has made. Ellen White put it this way in Education 190. The student, I hope we're all students, the student should gain a knowledge of Scripture's grand central theme. We might be foggy on some points of Scripture, some details of prophecy, but we need to know Scripture's grand central theme of God's original purpose for the world, of the rise of the great controversy and of the work of redemption. He, the student, should understand the nature of the two principles that are contending for supremacy and should learn to trace their working through the records of history and prophecy to the great consummation. He should see how this controversy enters into every phase of human experience, how in every act of life, he himself reveals the one or the other of the two antagonistic motives. Do you realize that? That every word you speak, every thought you think is demonstrating one or the other of the two antagonistic motives. There are no neutral thoughts. There is no neutral ground. You are either expressing love or selfishness. One or the other. There are no other options in this world. And how, whether he will or not, he is even now deciding upon which side of the controversy he will be found. Every choice we make every day is a, is a decision about which side of the controversy we're on. And if we make wrong decisions, we need to get them right, right away, right away. All right. God is on trial. 
Will his universe survive? Who will win? For more than 6,000 years, he has been facing the accusations. And the whole universe is watching to see how the whole drama will turn out. Will love, which is the foundation of God's government, be stronger than pride, self-exaltation, and selfishness? That's it. That's what it's all about. Love or selfishness, which way will this universe go? Which way will win? In Romans 3, 4 from today's English version, you must win your case when you are being tried. That means God. You must win your case when you are being tried. Again, a little window from Testimonies, Volume 5, page 474. Satan has an accurate knowledge of the sins which he has tempted them, that's us, to commit. And he presents these in the most exaggerated light, declaring, Will God banish me and my angels from his presence and yet reward those who have been guilty of the same sins? Thou canst not do this, O Lord, in justice. Thy throne will not stand in righteousness and judgment. Justice demands that sentence be pronounced against them. You catch the argument? I've sinned. Yeah, I know I've sinned. But look at all them. They've sinned and you're going to take them back and keep me out. That's not just. And the angels and the unfallen worlds will recognize that, God. You can't do that. Your way will not work. That's what he is saying right here. So speaking cosmically, my friends, there is something far more important than your salvation or mine. That's way down the list in terms of importance. The New International Version sets forth the issue clearly in Romans 3, 4, so that you may be proved right in your words and prevail in your judging. See, he is making decisions. Will he prevail? Will he be proved right? Patriarchs and Prophets, 68. The plan of salvation had a broader and deeper purpose than the salvation of men. It was not for this alone that Christ came to this earth. It was not merely that the inhabitants of this little world might regard the law of God as it should be regarded, but it was to vindicate the character of God before the universe. The act of Christ in dying for the salvation of man would not only make heaven accessible to men, but before the universe it would justify God and his son in their dealing with the rebellion of Satan. That's what it's all about. Satan wants to get back and God has to show the universe why he can't come back if the universe is going to survive. And that's what the incarnation is all about. And that's what the death of Christ is all about. And oh yes, praise the Lord, we get saved in the bargain. Only thus can Satan's pleas for restoration be silenced once and forever. So how would God vindicate his character? You know, Education 263, the cross, the cross is a revelation to our dull senses. We, are, we, are we clear on that? That our senses are really dulled by 6,000 years of sin? We're not the sophisticated, bright, intelligent people that we claim and think we are. We're pretty dull. The cross is a revelation to our dull senses of the pain that from its very inception sin has brought to the heart of God. Every departure from the right, every deed of cruelty, every failure of humanity to reach his ideal brings grief to him. The cross is God's way of solving this great problem. Turn with me to John chapter 12.
John 12, verse 31. Jesus, probably some of his most important words to his disciples. John 12, 31. Now is the judgment of this world. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. What is that? He was cast out 4,000 years ago. That casting out was only like exile. Have you heard of exiles? A ruler of a country walks off to another country for safety only to wait for the day when he can come back in power. It's happened many times. That's all that the first casting out was. He was cast out of heaven as an exile. He couldn't live there. That's all was said. But he did not lose the great controversy then. This is the judgment time. Now shall the prince of this world be cast out, and I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, and I will add the word all created beings to me. That's what the cross was. It was the casting down of Satan from the minds and the loyalties of created beings. That's how he would lose, not by a physical casting out of the environment of heaven. This is what it's all about. Look up with me. Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 18. And he said unto them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Once again, that is not 4,000 years ago. That is now, as the disciples were casting out devils, Satan is falling from his power, from his authority, from his credibility, from the loyalty of the minds of those who had created. That's the real point. That's what has to happen. All right. Although by crucifying the Son of God, Satan had signed his death warrant, he had uprooted himself from the affections of God's created beings. And again, I'm quoting, yet Satan was not then destroyed. The angels did not even then understand all that was involved in the great controversy. This is a complicated affair, isn't it? There is 4,000 years of human history. There is Jesus' incarnation. There is the cross and the angels get most of it. They see that there is malice on Satan's part and love on God's part. But even then they don't understand everything. The principles at stake were to be more fully revealed. And for the sake of man, Satan's existence must be continued. Man, as well as angels, must see the contrast between the prince of light and the prince of darkness. Man must choose whom he will serve. That's from Desire of Ages 761. The atonement finished at the cross? I don't think so. If it was, it should have been all over 2,000 years ago. If it was all finished at the cross, the death of Christ was finished, the sacrifice was finished, but the at one process was not clearly defined even then. Something yet had to be clearly seen. And so we come right down to our time. Throughout the Bible, God makes it very clear that nothing is more important in all the universe than to have his reputation cleared and his name honored. And that's exactly what we read in Revelation chapter 7. 
Jesus will not return. The great controversy will not end until God has a people who make guarding the name of God and his character the most important purpose of their lives. Let's take a look. Revelation chapter 7, verse 1. And after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, that the wind should not blow on the earth, nor on the sea, nor on any tree. If there is one verse in Scripture which describes us today, right here in the year 2007, this is it. And I saw another angel ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Why is God holding back these last day winds of terror and destruction? God's people are not ready. Hold back the east winds of human madness. Why? God's people haven't caught on yet as to the purpose of the gospel. Hold back the west winds of satanic fury that he wants to bring to this earth until God's people are ready to carry out the last assignment that he has for them. Hold the winds until God's people are sealable, ready to be sealed. Hold the winds until God's last people are ready with his final message for this earth's population. Hold them back because God's people need to prepare. Down here, we live in the days of the held winds. That's where we are. And God is telling the universe when he writes his name in the foreheads of those whom he has chosen, he is saying, listen to them. You can trust what they say. I can give them my seal of approval. The quality goes in before my name goes on. What could be more wonderful than to have the Heavenly Father write His personal name in your and my forehead? By that signature, God is saying, here are a people who have let the Holy Spirit do His full work in their lives. People who will reflect my glory Perfectly. I am no longer embarrassed by them. I no longer have to explain their glitches. They are what my gospel says they can be, and they have my seal of approval. Now, what is this seal that makes Satan so angry? Maranatha 200, just as soon as the people of God are sealed in their foreheads, it is not any seal or mark that can be seen, but a settling into the truth, both intellectually, we need to know what this is all about, and, and spiritually, so they cannot be moved. We need much more than intellectual knowledge. We need spiritual commitment. So we can't be moved. Just as soon as God's people are sealed and ready for the shaking, it will come. Isn't that plain? As soon as we're ready to be sealed, it's all over. It's not about the Pope. It's not about the Christian coalition. It's about you and me, God's people. Sealable or unsealable. That's what it's all about. This is the time when the angels and all the unfallen beings are judging whether God is fair in his judgments. That's really what it's all about. About the men and women that he is sealing. Is he really going to trust them 
Is that the right decision he's making? Isn't he not putting too much on the line? Can he really put his seal in their foreheads? He will seal them through a gospel of unlimited grace, not limited grace, but unlimited grace with power beyond anything we can dream to overcome all inherited and all cultivated tendencies to evil, believe it or not. All right, now to prevent this sealing, and Satan knows this is what he's got to prevent. He's got the world in his hands. He can shape leaders. He can shape politics, but he can't stop this movement once it gets underway. So he's got to stop it ahead of time to prevent the sealing. Satan has some gospels of his own that he offers to us. Yes, gospels. The law is good. Let us love the law. Let us exalt the law so high that no human being can ever hope to keep it. It is holy, it is infinite, it is pure, it is righteous. But of course, no human being can do that. But you don't have to worry about that. You don't have to do that because Jesus did it for you. And you just accept what he did. He kept the law knowing you can't. The law is good. It's a good law. You see? Or another one. You can't keep the commandments because you were born a sinner. Everything you do is sin. You live in sinful flesh. You will always be falling short, even by nature, if not by choices. But don't worry. As long as you're sorry for it, sorry for those things, that's all the Lord requires. God looks at Jesus' record in the judgment, not at yours. It's okay. Don't worry. Another one. You shouldn't try to keep the commandments because if you do, you are a legalist. The main thing to do is to have a relationship with Jesus. Now, of course, we all recognize some truths in these Gospels. There are truths there. But when you are told that it is either impossible or unnecessary to overcome sin, you need to remind yourself that somebody else is manufacturing Gospels here besides God. John calls this deception the wine of Babylon. And now, how far out of Babylon are we coming? Satan hates the everlasting gospel because the purpose of the gospel is to reproduce the character of Jesus. And that drives Satan furious. People like that? No way. He is furious when people see through his gospels, which is really the new legalism when a man and a woman believes that they can be saved by believing in a legal adjustment on the books of heaven without a character adjustment in their hearts and calling that righteousness by faith, then that is the ultimate legalism. Book adjustment without character adjustment. Can anyone imagine what it will be like when men and women wake up in the second resurrection, screaming at their pastors and teachers? You told me that grace covered my sins and that character didn't count. You told me that my assurance of salvation was believing in Jesus, that he died for me, and that I could not add anything to him to what he has done for me. And look where we are. You told me that faith plus nothing was the way to avoid legalism. You told me that any attempt to add obedience to faith would be legalism. And now look where we are. You even told me that Ellen White had no theological authority, and look where we are. I'd hate to be on the receiving end of those charges, and they will be made. They will be made. The good news 
is that Jesus Christ changes people so that they can be sealed with his seal. This saving faith is the same kind of faith that kept Jesus from sinning. Let us not be distracted with limited gospels drawn straight out of Babylon. Limit not the Holy One of Israel. All heaven is waiting to see that kind of person in these days before the wind blows, before this world becomes a madhouse. Now, if this is going to happen, there kind of needs to be an attitude adjustment on our part. I read about that in Ministry of Healing 476. The Lord has no place in his work for those who have a greater desire to win the crown than to bear the cross. He wants men who are more intent upon doing their duty than upon receiving their reward. Men who are more solicitous for principle than for promotion. We need an attitude adjustment. Why are we in this business of Christianity to get to heaven? No, it better not be. That's selfishness. That's I. That's the problem of Lucifer. Do we have a greater desire to win the crown than to bear the cross? Ellen White describes the popular gospel as merely a way of escape from suffering rather than as a deliverance from sin. Christ Object Lessons 47. Lucifer, you remember, wants still today to be reinstated to the privileges of heaven without the character of heaven. Which do we want? The character of heaven? Even if there would be no heaven, would we live the character of heaven? That's the key. Are we looking at heaven as escape from a difficult world or as freedom from the problems we have caused ourselves? Are we like a prisoner looking out into a beautiful park where the family is playing and all the prisoner can think of is how much he wants to be out there in the park with them? And his family wants a little more than that. His family wants the prisoner to see what caused him to get into prison in the first place so that he can be happy when he gets to the park and all of the stuff that has caused him all this grief all down these years. Yes, we do. We do need to be thinking about our characters. Yes, but we need to get more attention in the gospel in the light of how our obedience vindicates God's name, not how it saves us. Our focus needs to change why we do what we do. I think that would change most of the answers we give to those difficult questions. Should I do this? Should I go there? Should I listen to this? Should I participate in this? It's not about whether God will forgive us. He will forgive us. But are we helping his cause? Are we moving us toward the close of, of all things? Are we becoming sealable so that he will win? I think we have to ask a different question. We focus too much on our own happiness and even our own salvation. We need to see broader, long-range principles here. The great controversy between Christ and Satan puts those of us who are living in these last days on center stage. We are the demonstration generation for all the universe, and they have never seen a generation that will be like this one, ever. And I ask the question, will Jeremiah chapter 50, verse 20, ever be fulfilled? It's tucked away there in the Old Testament, hardly ever noticed. Jeremiah chapter 50 and verse 20. In those days and at that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for and there shall be none. Zero. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. 
I want to see that day. But God wants to see it a lot more than I do. This incredible statement, Education 264, In order to destroy sin and its results, God gave his best beloved, and he has put it in our power through cooperation with him to bring this scene of misery to an end. Wow. It's in our power when it happens. Could have happened 100 years ago. Could have happened 100 years from now. It's in our power to bring this scene of misery to an end. An incredible promise and a revelation of how important we are to God's plan. Satan knows how much is riding on this. Satan knows how much on the last generation counts. And I found this amazing thing in the Spalding McGann collection, page 2. While the plagues are falling, the scapegoat is being led away. He makes a mighty struggle to escape. But he is held fast by the hand that leads him. This is Satan trying to get one of us to sin after the close of probation. That's his mighty struggle to escape. That's the only way he'll escape. He knows it. If he should affect his escape, getting one of God's sealed people to sin, Israel would lose their lives. Israel, not just you and me, but all the faithful ones of all time, because God would lose the great controversy and Satan would win. He's planning to get back into heaven. I saw that it would take time to lead away the scapegoat into the land of forgetfulness after the sins were put on his head. It's going to take a little time to prove who's right and wrong. All right, we'll finish quickly. One final chapter in the story. The wicked are brought to light, saying the vast multitude Satan recovers from his hopelessness of a thousand years alone. At the critical moment, high above the city, God's throne is lifted up. Panoramic view will pass in detail Satan's rebellion and our place in that rebellion. Each one will see his or own position and what we have said and done in the whole process. Lucifer and his angels will see, and the fallen ones, will see that every effort of God was resisted, that they made horrible choices along the way, choosing rebellion. And at the end of the thousand years, after the great white throne judgment, I don't think one person will choose to change sides. Oh, yes, some will want the privileges of heaven, but they will not want the environment, the character, the purity of heaven. They couldn't endure it. Heaven would be hell to them. And finally, Satan himself bows down and confesses the justice of his sentence. Maranatha 345. He confesses the justice of his sentence. In full view of the evidence, he has said God's way is right and my way doesn't work. God has given him all the talented humans he could have, the wise, the brilliant. And God took the dregs of the earth, the uneducated, the simple, the plain. And with these leftover scraps of humanity, he overcomes all the hosts of evil. And the universe will see it very clearly. And Paul said it so well. God hath chosen the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. God hath chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things which are mighty. And base things of the world and things which are despised hath God chosen and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. And Ellen White adds, Satan sees that his voluntary rebellion has unfitted him for heaven. 
And Philippians 2 will finally be fulfilled that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. That's the end of the story. For over 7,000 years, Satan has been plugged into a life support system that he didn't deserve, had no right. Finally, he realizes that God is right and he has been wrong. Every mouth will be stopped, we are told, and all the hosts of heaven will be speechless. Sin's utter extermination, which in the beginning would have brought fear to angels and dishonor to God, will now vindicate his love and establish his honor before the universe. Faith I live by, 71. And just in case we've forgotten, how is this all going to be accomplished? The honor of God, the honor of Christ, is involved in the perfection of the character of his people. That's how. The honor of God, of Christ, must stand complete in the perfection of the character of his chosen people. Your character is his glory revealed in you. Those two references are Desire of Ages 671 and Signs of the Times, November 25, 1897. It is all about God's honor, God's good name, and vindication of his name. God will win. Will we be with him when he wins? Let us kneel in prayer, please. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for opening the curtains of heaven just a little bit and allowing us to peek behind the scenes those events which began the rebellion and then your great plan and what you are expecting to happen at the very end of the plan to finish the great theme of Scripture. Lord, help us to plug in. Help us not to wander about in the deserts of our own experiences, daily living, wondering what the future might be. Help us to be preparing to be sealed. May we make one purpose in our minds clear that nothing matters but being part of God's team as we finish the great controversy together, God and us together. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.